It's the spookiest time of the year and one of the spookiest places in the country. Across New England, legends loom of ghosts and mystical creatures, and no one knows more about those stories than Jeff Bellinger. With decades of experience in the paranormal and spectacular, he's a writer for the hit show Ghost Adventures and an Emmy-nominated producer and host of his own show, New England Legends. We're happy to have him join us to talk about those things that go bump in the night. The Municipal Voices of Connecticut Conference Municipalities Podcast in collaboration with NHH LP 103.5 FM. I'm your host, Matt Ford. As always, be sure to give us a like and let us know what you're thinking in the comments. CCM's Municipal Voice Podcast continues to present a key forum on important state local issues. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the consensus views of CCM or member municipal leaders. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Good to be with you. Happy October. Good stuff going on. So as I said, uh, Halloween is rapidly approaching, and you are the host, writer, producer of the Emmy-nominated TV show, New England Legends, um, as well as hosting a weekly podcast of the same name. Yep. Uh, so obviously, we're going to talk about some spooky stuff today. Sounds uh, good. So first off, can you uh, let the audience at home know a little bit about you and how you got into ghost stories and legends? Was this, you know, family pastime or did you, you know, see a ghost that sparked the interest? Yeah. So uh, I was born in Massachusetts, but I grew up in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. Okay. And being an old historic town, like so many in New England, uh, I had friends that lived in some old houses, including yeah. some that they claimed were haunted. So my buddy Dave lived down the street. His house was built in 1760. Okay. I mean, think about that. We weren't even America yet. We were still England yeah. when that house was born, uh, built. And it was just one of those things like, yeah, from time to time, we see an old guy, you know, walk down the hall and disappear and don't tell your parents, they'll think we're crazy. Yeah. And uh, and so I thought, wow, that's intriguing. I also grew up, Sandy Hook, as you may know, is the town next to Monroe, Connecticut, which mm -hmm. is where Ed and Lorraine Warren lived. Mm -hmm. And so I knew the Warrens since I was about 13 years old. I used to attend their their programs in the fall. And yeah. I thought, wow, just this is just so intriguing. I didn't have my own ghost experience for many years, but I was completely intrigued by the notion of haunted places. I love yeah. history. I love talking to people. And I went to school to be a writer and started writing for newspapers and magazines. And around October, Matt, you might find this shocking, but in October, the media goes looking for ghost stories and people to talk to. You're going right. to have to take my word for this, um, but it's it becomes a thing. Right. So we want to talk about you're a hot commodity for October. Suddenly you're a hot commodity. Right. So I was I was, you know, like you looking for hot commodities in October. And I was like, yeah. this is great. I love these stuff. I love the features yeah. and everything. So that turned into a website. Then I started writing books. Then I started working for Ghost Adventures. Then I started New England Legends. This was a career I never planned, but one yeah. I wouldn't trade for anything. Yeah. A career you can't plan. You know, there's no college major for, for you know, this sort of thing. But you no. did mention, of course, uh, Connecticut's very own legends, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. What sort of debt do, do you and everyone kind of that does the sort of things that you do owe to them and sort of you know, modern ghost legends and the telling of them? What's so intriguing about Ed and Lorraine Warren is that they're way more famous today now that they've passed away mm. than they ever were when they were alive. Back then, they were very much like regional celebrities. Mm -hmm. And it's it's hard for us to imagine because there's so many paranormal television shows. There's so many there's so much paranormal yeah. content out there um, that back then in the 70s and 80s, like ghosts were in the closet. This yeah, wasn't this something was obscure stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and they they were doing it. They were out there giving talks at colleges and universities and they were going on you know talk shows yeah. and they were in the media. They were putting this stuff out there and and really helping to sort of pave the way to normalize talking mm. about it. 
uh, along with others, they weren't the only ones, but, yeah, yeah. but absolutely they were really at the forefront before, you know, it became mainstream, you know, now. Yeah, and, and doing it at a time when, you know, it wasn't necessarily like, oh yeah, that's a great idea for a, a way to earn a living or, you know, way to tell stories or whatever. It was like, yeah, when they were doing and, it. And, it was much more on the fringe sort of thing. Like it, it wasn't. And, an easy yeah. Yeah. Decision. And their angle too was, was yeah. very Roman Catholic. You know, yeah. and uh, like that was Ed was all about like demons and vanquishing evil and all this other yeah. stuff. So he viewed himself as kind of a crusader against uh, this stuff. And either way, uh, yeah. very entertaining. And they got the stories out there. And now their 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 research is being made into hit movies that yeah. we watch. Again now, again. now they're legends in, in their own right. Right. Um, yeah. So you've been a writer on the show Ghost Adventures for 25 years now. Um, what's yeah, it like 15, to, actually. 15? Oh, we, okay. we've all, that's all, but that's all we've been around is 15. It started in okay. 2008. So, yeah. All right. I, I'm going to talk to my writer, but yeah, yeah. 15 years, which is still a long time from the beginning. Um, and then long enough, certainly, to have seen the rise of ghost hunting as a, you know, an activity, as a thing that goes on in this country. What has it been like to see that rise? When Ghost Adventures started, I mean, I'd already been writing books. I had my website mm -hmm. and um, I got a call saying, hey, we're going to do this this show, just eight episodes for the mm -hmm. Travel Channel. And I was like, oh, cool. I've written for newspapers, magazines, internet books, uh, television's mm -hmm. news. So let's do this. And we did we did the show and it started to air and Travel Channel said, we have a hit. You know, how fast yeah. can we get back to work? And we said, I guess tomorrow. And that, yeah. that was our last day off was 2008. Uh, so it, it's been it's been crazy because like, Ghost Adventures has also become sort of pop culture, not mm -hmm. just um, not just, you know, talking about paranormal research, but it gets lampooned on on talk shows. It gets clips get played and so on. Um, so that's been pretty amazing to see. And then all this, the other shows that have come yeah. coming on, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. just dozens and dozens of them. Yeah, over it, the I mean, it's essentially a genre at, at this point. It, absolutely. In yeah. fact, um, someone I know who works at, at the television network said we now view paranormal the way TV views cooking shows. Right. Mm -hmm. Cooking shows have been on air for 50, 60 years. They will always be on the air. They'll change different personalities, yeah. but it's here to stay. And, and that's how they view paranormal. And I think the reason is because we, we really yearn for answers. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about the paranormal, you get to talk about the biggest questions that have ever been asked. Right. Like yeah. what happens after we die? Yeah. Uh, are, are we alone in the universe? Do we know every creature that walks the earth with us? Mm. And when you talk about the paranormal, you get to ponder and, and kick around these questions in a very safe way yeah. without talking about religion and its dogmas. I mean, if I said, hey, mm. let me tell you about my religious faith, you'd squirm and you'd be like, no, 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 no. What are the odds we're going to agree? Let me tell you a ghost fight. story. Yeah. A ghost story. You'll be like, all right, I'm listening. Yeah. Right. Because you could say, well, I don't believe. And that's fine. There's still inherent value in a ghost story, even if you yeah. don't believe in an afterlife or ghosts or otherwise. Yeah. Now, you said you were born in Massachusetts. You grew up here. Is there something particularly spooky about New England? You know, you've yes. got 312 episodes of your podcast <laughs> about New England's being spooky. Like, it doesn't seem like you're stopping anytime soon. What makes New England so spooky? So I think there's there's kind of a perfect storm uh, in New England of what happens, right? So number one, we've got a lot of history here. And I, I recognize I'm talking about colonial history, but there's native history as well. I mean, we've mm -hmm. named towns and things. And so uh, there's just thousands of years of human history in this this part of the country. We also have a, a sense of preservation mm -hmm. in New England. And I'm generalizing, forgive me, but I, I know no other way to answer this. Yeah. When you go to other parts of the country, if a strip mall is 40 or 50 years old, they just yeah. tear it down and they yeah. put up something brand new. You know, here, 
when you drive down main streets of various towns, that's exactly what it looked like 150 years mm -hmm. ago, right? Except there were a few less Dunkin' Donuts back then. Just yeah. A few less. Different, was, different signs on the facades, but brick and... Right. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and so it was, it was all, it was, that's what it looked like. And so yeah. we, we, we preserve our history here. And we also have this sort of uh, matter of factness about this subject. So in certain parts of the country or the world, if you mention ghosts, people get rather frightened and they say, well, we're talking mm. about God or the devil now. And I don't know if, you know, here we mm. can just be like, yeah, it's haunted. Uh, and then also you add in our Northern climate in the winters, mm. we hibernate. And we sit around and we talk about stories and we share these tales. It's it so dark on. and it's cold out and you huddle by the fire. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, you know, and of course, New England, we were built for the fall. When people think of the fall nationwide, mm. they think of New England. So I think it's just sort of this perfect storm, Salem witch trials. And, you know, all these sort of things came together that yeah. we we sort of embrace our history and we embrace our ghosts. Yeah, Salem witch trials, of course. Being CCM, I got to give a shout out to Connecticut. Well, actually, I don't know if the shout out, but there was witch trials in Connecticut even before Salem. Before you won, yeah. yeah. And 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 by the way, well done, Connecticut. I don't know if that's something to be the... proud of, but no. But we have no, you had the... have pardoned them, I believe. You you pardoned two. You okay. had the best. Uh, you had the best PR cover up ever. So there were there were witch trials that began in Hartford uh, years before Salem, yeah. and I. I Forgive me if I'm wrong. I want to say 11 people were executed, not all yeah. at once, but over the span of years yeah. uh, for, for witchcraft. And so and then shortly after that, 1692 comes along. Salem happens. Yeah. And and what people need to understand in the context of the time is that after that happened, people were all over. were just like that. That was a travesty. Like they, yeah. it wasn't they knew immediately. It's not like we knew even back later. then they knew like that was crazy. Like they yeah. something went very wrong there. Exactly. So they knew even back then, like this is this is really not how the world should work. And so Connecticut started scratching their head saying, we did that. Just get rid of the records, um, be because when they were trying to pardon uh, the, the, the those accused mm. of witchcraft, there was a whole organization in Connecticut doing this. They wrote to the queen at the time she was alive, mm -hmm. wrote to the queen in, of England and said, can we have a posthumous pardon? And they said, we absolutely have something in place for this. You have to send mm -hmm. us all the court records and we can issue it. And the court records are gone. The only they reason we gone. know about them is because family records and journals said so. You know, my my mother yeah. was taken and, and, away. You know, yeah. something that far back. Do we know that they were purposely kind of gotten rid of? Like like the I, other records from sixteen whatever are still around, and then there's this big kind of blank area sort of going on. I would say right around sixteen ninety two, some stuff went missing. That, if okay. I had to guess, right? But, but sixteen ninety like, is good. Sixteen ninety four is good. But somehow, just magically, okay. Well, that's the year they those those records got expunged. I'm guessing, um, but yeah, but but it, but at the same time, I, and 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 this is why we talk about this stuff because the past should haunt us. Mm -hmm. We have literally murdered people because we disagreed with them politically or otherwise, mm -hmm. you know. And so there's there's an inherent lesson to keep those stories around, whether it's Salem or Hartford, Connecticut, or yeah. you know wherever else. Yeah, some it's not just ghosts per se, but some of these stories involve real people and real events, and you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you choose then uh, which stories to cover? What kind of research goes into telling these kind of stories? So the the what's great at this point, we've been doing this so long that um, our, our stories are mainly crowdsourced. You know, we get mm -hmm. emails almost every day. We're just like, hey, have you heard about this? I mean, I didn't grow up in every little small town in New England, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. And so people are just like, in my town, we had this story. And those are my favorite now, like these really obscure little things that you'd have to be local to know. And yeah. the research is, I mean, 
what's so great is we live in a time that, you know, like there used to be these, these thick books, like the complete history of, you know, Milford, Connecticut. Yeah. And it, it would like four copies exist and it would be in a library and you'd have to go there and port. Yeah, to go to the Milford public library and, and look at it in there. And yeah, that's right. And now it's on archive.org. It's searchable for free, you know, and, and you can get through some of these great, you can find these old nuggets in there where they were just sort of reported on. Oh, there was a trial, a witch yeah. trial in town. There was a, a haunted building or there was this murder. And so uh, the research is talking to libraries, to historical societies, looking at old texts. Um, but also our format is such that, I mean, hey, it's meant to entertain, right? Mm-hmm. To sort of, and, and for me, what we're doing is we're, we're telling the backstory. Because when you mm-hmm. walk up to a building and someone says that building right there on Main Street is haunted, yeah. the next question you have to ask is why? Why yeah. would it be haunted? What, and what who, happened there? Yeah, exactly. And the only way to answer that is you go back in time and you put it into the context of the day and you learn, oh, there were people who lived here. There were people who died here. There was history that left a mark. Mm-hmm. And that's why we still talk about this building and not the one right next door. For whatever reason, we don't talk about that one. And yeah. and so to me, that that backstory, that going back in time and witnessing what happened and realizing that the story will change and alter over the telling and, mm-hmm. and so on. But there's some thread that sort of goes all the way back to the beginning if you follow it. Yeah. You write about the stories and your research and we see the his- history of it. But do you personally, have you seen a ghost? I have seen a ghost. Okay, you have seen a ghost. Okay. Yeah. I've been doing this 25 years now and all over the world. I've been on mm-hmm. almost every continent. I'm only missing uh, two at mm-hmm. this point. Um, and so I've, I've seen, I can, a few times I can say, mm-hmm. I've seen something that I have no other word. That you cannot first, explain in any other way. The first time it happened, I was in Paris, France, and mm-hmm. I was in the catacombs of Paris, 30 meters below the city, mm-hmm. surrounded by bones, completely alone. No one would go with me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm surrounded by literally millions of skeletons and I'm walking down this long hallway and I see this shadow, the size of a man go from one side to the other and then back again. And I just sort of froze. And I said, all right, wait a minute. I know I'm alone. There's mm-hmm. no one down here. Um, and then I'm thinking maybe there's a side tunnel and I miss somebody, but nope, it's straight all the way. And yeah. it's it's one of those things where, you know, I'd interviewed hundreds of people about their ghost experiences up to that point. Now yeah. it's thousands. But, yeah. but at that point, I was just like, oh, this must be what they're talking about. Yeah. I didn't ask for this. I was yeah. just standing here and this happened. And the analogy I like to use is it's like a lightning strike. I mean, mm-hmm. you're aware that lightning strikes the earth like mm-hmm. hundreds of times a day, just not usually right near where you're standing. Yeah. But if lightning ever does strike right near where you're standing, mm-hmm. you will never forget it the rest of your life. Yeah. Would you have called yourself a skeptic before that moment? I'm a skeptic now. I mean, you know, like, I, I mean, sure. I don't believe everything that I hear, yeah. but I but I understand that there's some reason that it's around. And so mm-hmm. I've had experiences. I believe this stuff is real beyond a story. Mm-hmm. Um, what it is, I can't fully explain. But at the same time, I mean, I, I, I yeah, you can't believe everything you hear. But at the same time, you got to ask, why do you keep hearing the same story about mm-hmm. certain locations in certain places? Yeah. And also, I wonder, is there something to the commonality that we know that we can look on the Internet and find all these local little stories of how many of the stories sound similar and there's similar themes and and ideas from people that were at the time that was happening very unconnected totally i mean uh so i love the trope of unfinished business right Mm -hmm. i mean the unfinished business by the way is always with the living never with the Mm -hmm. dead right if someone's murdered uh lizzie borden's you know dad and stepmother murdered at the lizzie borden house in fall river massachusetts uh no one was ever punished for that crime 
Yeah. And you and the house has a haunted reputation. You could say it's the ghosts crying out for justice, sure. Or maybe that's just us being mm. really frustrated that someone someone killed two people and no one was punished for that. That yeah. will haunt you, you know, and you know yeah. it gnaws at you. And so that's the unfinished business. We have it. You are listening to the Municipal Voice on WNHH 103.5 FM. One of the nice stories we encountered was over the pandemic, there was a talk you gave at the Morris Public Library via Zoom, uh, which we featured in our magazine, Connecticut Town and City. Um, and you do talks around the country. And one of the nice things is that you really set the atmosphere, like you're telling stories around like a midnight campfire for people. Are these talks fun? You know, how do you choose the stories to feature? How do you, you know, cater to a location? Yeah, so uh, the podcast has been going for six years now, and, and we, yeah. we haven't missed a week in six years, 52 a year, you know. Um, and so hundreds of stories have come in. And what's great is that I, during the pandemic, I finally had the time to take all these stories and turn them into like a visual story. Yeah. Uh, and when I tell these stories, it's there's like a, you know, there's like a just something to look at while I sort of tell you the tale. Mm-hmm. And I finally had the time to break them all into their own sort of unit. And, and, and the analogy is this. I'm like a band that knows 300 songs. Mm-hmm. And tonight I'm going to play 10 of them. And so if you said, I need you to go on in 20 minutes, I can be ready in 20 minutes and I can go yeah. through my 300 songs and say, where am I in Connecticut? Am I in Northeast Connecticut? Oh, I got a couple stories around here. Grab that, grab that, grab that. Am I, I'll, I'll include this one I haven't told in a while. This one's one of my favorites. I just enjoy telling it. Someone requested that one. And then boom, I've got 10 tales, one hour. And, set and off, off we go. It's a set list. That's exactly yeah. what it is. It's a set list. And so... Uh, and that's what and it's so that was one upside of the pandemic was I finally had the time to to do all that. And yeah, uh, and it's great. And so, yeah. So every time I give that legends, the New England legends talk, it's different because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get bored with it either. Yeah. Um, it just makes me wonder, do you think, you know, have there been spooky stories that have come out of past pandemics? And, you know, do you think there's going to be stories, those stories that come out of this most recent one or are there already? Yes, yes, yes. Matt, yes. So um, when when the pandemic hit, we we started focusing a lot of our stories on uh, vampire stories of New England. Mm. There's a bunch: Connecticut, Rhode Island, uh, uh, Massachusetts, uh, Jewett City, uh, Jewett City, the Jewett City vampires. That's exactly right, Griswold, Connecticut. Yeah. So um, so we started telling these stories of vampires. Mm-hmm. Vampires before Bram Stoker in the 1890s mm-hmm. were uh, plague victims, usually consumption, tuberculosis. And it wasn't sexy guys in bow ties or sparkle vampires or, yeah. No, no, this was like, this was walking corpses, more like our modern notion of zombies as opposed to, you know, um, but but they, they weren't feeding on brains, they were feeding on the lifeblood, the vitality yeah. of the living. And when when consumption hit, I mean, this that was the a huge, huge global killer. Uh, people mm-hmm. could die in a matter of weeks or months or, or years for some people. Some people lived with it the rest of their days. And, you know, folks back then weren't stupid. They understood contagion. I mean, when a kid mm-hmm. comes in the house with a, a cold, you know, everyone in the house yeah. is going to get the cold. That's not, you know, that's not rocket science. But when you're scared, when when two, three, four members of your family die, and then yeah. two or three others are unharmed in the house down the street, everybody died in the house the other way, nobody died. You start looking for some order in that chaos and you start mm. saying, well, why am I plagued? And they're not. And then someone tells you you're the victim of a vampire. And if your child is dying, if your child is sick and wasting away 
and and waking up with like blood on the corner of yeah. of her her chin and so on and you wonder like is she being drained of this in the night when i'm sleeping and someone tells you dig up your last one to die and look for signs of vampirism burn their vital organs and you might break the spell yeah. That sounds insane. I get it. And right now with our rational, healthy brains, that sounds completely nuts. But if you're desperate and you know your last loved one is, isn't going to be any deader, yeah. you, you try it. And here's the crazy thing. Once in a while, it works. Once yeah. in a while, the person gets better. My skeptic friends would say, well, that's just, they were going to get better anyway. Yeah. And you might be right. You might be right, but it doesn't matter. It has to work one in a million times and someone will try it. And then that's where it gets passed on that it worked the one time. Yeah. Right. When you think about how do you kill a vampire? Everyone knows this one. Go, Matt, tell me. How do you kill a vampire? Modern day. Stake. Through the heart. Through the heart, right? Or you call Wesley Snipes. Right. Either way, right? Stake through the heart, though, is a little more common before Wesley. And and you do that because in old folklore, you were nailing the corpse to the ground. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a stake through the heart. You just didn't want the corpse to be able to get up and rise. You're physically holding them down, yeah. That's it. I was just nailing you down so you can't come out of your grave anymore and feed on my family. So... Those, the, so even in the fiction, you can find parts of folklore fact. Yeah. When you go and do these stories, you know, and you're telling them a person, do people get scared? Do you ever freak anybody out at these? Sometimes. I mean, I think sometimes a, a particular story might hit close to home for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to keep it entertaining and often pretty funny. I mean, if you've, if you've seen it, then, you know, like sometimes I, I tell a lot of jokes. And the reason for that is not accidental. I mean, mm-hmm. I think a good story sort of moves you through an emotional roller coaster where some yeah. some jokes you know you can say yeah this sounds silly but someone literally ripped the heart out of a, their daughter's corpse and burned it you know yeah. um you know you you can sort of move people through and disarm them with humor and 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 say like look w- when when covid hit i remember thinking oh we've been here before yeah. this is we've we've been through this we weren't alive yeah. but but our ancestors have been through this and so um you know i mean i imagine I mean, imagine telling the story 150 years from now. And, you know, yeah, back in the in 2019, 2020, uh, there was this this virus that was attacking people. And everybody had to wear a mask everybody. all the time. And yeah. you had to. Yeah. And the only cure was to hoard toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> Cause Tales and effect. Of the future. Yeah, so, um, I had I had 20, 200 rolls of toilet paper and no one here got sick. Therefore, toilet paper keeps you from getting sick. Period. The end. That's it. Two hundred years. Toilet paper will kill vampires. That'll be. That's right. So recently, uh, you were telling stories at the Mansfield Senior Center, and you were talking about uh, nightmares. How is the nightmares talk different than the legends talk? Yeah. So I wrote a book about uh, nightmares, as your darkest dreams interpreted, and I was Mm -hmm. asked to write a a dream guide, and I really got into it um, Mm -hmm. because I was thinking, you know, dreams are. I think anyone who's interested in dream work you can learn a lot about yourself yeah. and the the best dream interpreter in the world always and forever is you the person who had the dream because you can fit it into the context of your life and so if you really want to get into dream work all you need is a, a pad and pen by your bedside or i mm-hmm. guess you could use your phone or a computer and when you wake up you write down the date and everything you remember and you might start to get some insight nightmares are the dreams we really remember yeah. and I, I believe a dream is a message from ourselves to ourselves and if and a nightmare is an urgent message, is mm. something really important that you're you're dealing with, and you need to get this message immediately. And so it's it's sort of fun to look at nightmares in popular culture, nightmares in, in you know movies and books and mm. literature, but also like what some of the imagery means. 
and sort of kind of teaching people how to uh, interpret not just their nightmares, but those are the most fun because those yeah. are the ones we remember. And that was that was one of your books. What was what was the, that book called? Uh, it was called uh, the Nightmare Encyclopedia: Your Darkest Dreams Interpreted. Ooh, yeah. There's always a story, right? There's yeah. something scary. Uh, but and by the way, I I could tell you no story that's anywhere near as scary as what's in your head, mm. right? Because you know, you know it is, what's I scary. cater my own fears to myself. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I mean, some people are petrified of snakes. You may not be, right? Yeah. So, um, we're all different. It's all to our own interpretation. Um, for those who joined in at the uh, Morse Library talk, uh, you regaled the audience with the legend of the Glowacus. Uh, can you tell us about the mythical Glowacus and its connection to uh, Connecticut journalistic history? Yeah, so the Glowacus is a great story. Uh, January of 1939, there was the Hartford Times and the Hartford Current. Those are the mm -hmm. two big papers in Hartford. And um, uh, the the Hartford Times started to report that there was a strange creature that was uh, killing animals at some of the mm -hmm. regional farms. Absolutely newsworthy, important news. So other farmers could read, read and say, oh, I better keep a be a little more vigil right now. Mm -hmm. Of course, important. Uh, but then some of the eyewitness reports uh, started to come out of seeing this animal and they described it as like a black like puma. And of course, okay. pumas don't belong in Connecticut. Mountain mm -hmm. lions do show up in Connecticut, but they're never, they're not black. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't turn up all black. Uh, so suddenly um, people are describing this black thing, mm -hmm. uh, this black cat-like creature that's been hunting animals. The Hartford Current um, sort of went off the rails with, with descriptions. So mm -hmm. what, what went from like a puma-like creature to it's got the body of a, a dog and a head like a lion and a horn and it cries, cries blue tears. Like in the span yeah. of like two or three weeks, it went from an unusual black cat-like creature to uh, something you've never seen or heard yeah. of before. And they started calling it the Gloacus. And the more Gloacus reports that came in, they, Hartford Current started drawing maps. Hartford Times tried to be journalistic. And the Hartford Current started selling advertising. So like one of my favorites, um, there was like a, a gas station was saying, use SO oil uh, to, to get make a quick getaway from the Gloacus. <laughs> and um, there, there's an ad they ran of uh, a woman's hair salon that said, don't look like a Gloacus, get your get get a permanent, you know, done here for mm -hmm. whatever, you know, whatever the money. And so over the span of like three or four weeks, the the Hartford Current just went nuts uh, yeah. talking about and the Gloacus, it sounds almost Latin, right? Like there's mm -hmm. this new animal. And then you real eventually it came through that a, an editor at the Hartford Current had named it for Glastonbury, Wacky, and us, the Glowacus. And uh, and and but the funny thing is, it, it, this this is folklore, right? Mm -hmm. In the span of four weeks, which is really traceable, right? You yeah. can go back four weeks. Going back 40, 50, 100, 200 years is difficult. Going back mm -hmm. four weeks is a snap. And so you watch it go from, hey, careful farmers, there's an animal lurking, killing animals to weird, it's black, like a cat, yeah. doesn't belong around here, to lion that cries blue tears and, you know, is, yeah, is almost like a chupacabra around. or something. That's right. Yeah. And so that was in the span of just four weeks. And um, and what I love about that is it's, it's not a yarn, right? It's a cautionary tale. Mm. And so if you're a farmer, you're probably not even sleeping anymore, but damn it, that thing's not getting any of my animals, yeah. right? You're out there with the shotgun all night long waiting. Watching out. Yeah. So it served a purpose. After about four or five weeks just plastering the news, mm -hmm. the most American thing that could ever happen happened. And that is everybody got bored with it and the news cycle moved on. It, <laughs> that, it didn't that, turn that up. Is, 
There was it. It was there was over. no front page. Like, oh, oops, we were. There isn't one. It was just nope. oh, something else. They, there was the, one. The Winstead Wild Man. Well, they had the Wild Man, right? So, but there was a there was a Gloacus. There was an animal killing animals on farms, but mm-hmm. they just sort of moved on. The dead one. They didn't shoot it dead and say, "Here, we've got it." They didn't say it's moved on. It mm-hmm. just got bored and moved on with the next news cycle. Well done. <laughs> Good job, Gloacus. Yeah. But there are reports from all across New England of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, all over the place, New England, all over the state. Is there uh, a part of New England or Connecticut that you find to be more haunted than others? So the only rules I seem to have come up with when it comes to hauntings is that there must be people that have lived there and live there now. That's that's the rule, right? If it's a remote area with nobody, you're not going to have many, if any, ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, cities have got plenty um towns have got plenty you know wherever there there have been people there are ghost stories whether they're memorable enough to make it to you know be turned into like a a hollywood movie or not Mm -hmm. you know that remains to be seen but yeah they're all over um no town is immune not one that i found yet yeah i i mean a a particular town this is the hardest question Mm -hmm. for me to answer by the way and i get asked it every time what's your favorite what's the most what's the biggest right so it, I have hundreds and hundreds of children and I, you can't ask me to pick a favorite. <laughs> you can't pick However, since we're in New Haven, okay. <laughs> um, I do have a, a favorite in New Haven. Okay. Um, Midnight Mary. Midnight Classic. Mary is such a great one. And what's so powerful about Midnight Mary is, first, let me tell you the story, right? So mm-hmm. allegedly, she's a woman who was buried alive. Yeah. And uh, her aunt had this prophetic dream that, oh, my God, she's not dead. She's not dead. Days after she had passed away and been mm-hmm. buried at Evergreen Cemetery. Um, and then um, she was she was to the point where her aunt had her exhumed, mm-hmm. opened the casket. Her face is frozen in horror. There's all these scratch marks, scratch marks on the roof yeah. Yeah, of the casket and so on. And then they just said, oh, my God, what have we done? We have to live with this the rest of our days. And then they reinterred her mm-hmm. uh, in the cemetery. And the reason it's so powerful is that you can go there right this very minute and you can see her grave and the epitaph is what's so ominous. And the yeah. top reads, uh, the people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away. So right there, we're already, you know, um, we're already scared with that, mm-hmm. even though, by the way, that's a passage from the Bible. Doesn't matter. We didn't memorize the Bible. And then the rest of the epitaph reads, I'm reading this. I didn't memorize it uh, at high noon. Just from and about to renew her daily work in her full strength of body and mind, Mary E. Hart, having fallen prostrate, remained unconscious until she died at midnight, October 15th, 1872. And she was born December 16th, 1824, which would have made her 47 years old at the time. So she died young. The the grave tells you the story. She was perfectly fine. And then she was not. And then you hear the legend of her being buried alive, which is every, you know, a lot of people's worst nightmare. And then you go there and you've got this ominous epitaph. You've got this boxy grave in the cemetery mm-hmm. that you can go see right this very minute. And then at midnight, her ghost is said to to lurk around. And what's better than that when it's that yeah. specific? You've got a place, a date, a time, a location, and it's all right there. It's tempting, isn't it? And you could say, yeah. this is the best part to my skeptic friends. I don't believe in ghosts. It's all whatever, right? And, yeah. and if you're walking by the cemetery at like 1150, you're not going to swing by. You're not just a tiny bit curious yeah. that you're going to like, well, I don't believe in ghosts, but I am going to look. I mean, let's yeah. see. Maybe and does nice the story, day. do you know, does it trace back to when she actually died or did the story kind of come later based on the stone? I suspect it came later. We don't know for certain she was dug up, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, here's the there, thing. There's no no news report from the, the Hartford Current no. saying body dug up. Yeah. 
that, and it would have been the Hartford Current, by the way. Hartford Times is gone, right? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, so uh, no, it, it, there's there's no story about this. And and I mean, come on, let's let's be realistic. If someone's been in the ground a day or two, mm-hmm. if they if they were alive when they went in the ground, they're not alive now, yeah. right? There's there's not enough air to last. You know, um, I've I've actually looked this up for a different podcast, but um, I, I forget. Like, given given how much space is in an average coffin, average person, average average average. It, it was something like you would last in the neighborhood of a, an hour or two yeah, and before you'd run out of air. So, so don't try it at home. Don't, don't get buried alive. No. You mentioned like local legends that were in New Haven. Uh, our offices are on Long Wharf. Oh, uh, yeah. So I, I have to ask about uh, New Haven Harbor and the ghost ship of 1647. What is the that's, ghost ship of 1647 all about? That's such a great story because it was documented by Cotton Mather of uh, Salem Witch Trials fame. Um, so, uh, the, the long and short of it in January of 1647, a great ship was, was built, I believe in Rhode Island and that sailed down that's historical fact. There really was a ship. Yeah. It really, really was a ship. Yep. Built in, built in Rhode Island, sailed to New Haven. And they were, they were, uh, this was going to be a, a big boon for the New Haven economy. They were going over to England to mm-hmm. sell some stuff, bring some stuff back and start a, start a nice trade route with a new ship. And mm-hmm. the, the ship seemed, uh, wonky. Uh, right from the, the get-go, um, ships have to be built just right or they won't yeah. sail right. And so uh, on the day that it sailed, it was very icy. There was a lot of problems. But with the blessings of the minister, the ship sailed off past the horizon and everybody, you know, said their prayers and, and hoped for the best. Yeah. And no word ever came from the ship uh, again. And this is January of, uh, of uh, 1647. And so as weeks turn into months and no other ships, it was very common for them. Like, yeah. oh, we saw the ship we, or we got a letter or what, anything, but no yeah. word at all. And at some point you have to assume the worst mm-hmm. that your your loved one in the ship is gone. But then in June, so six months after the fact, uh, everybody got their answer, what they believe was their answer. They prayed and prayed for some sign from God. Mm-hmm. And these clouds came in that they said looked exactly like the ship. And it sailed yeah. right up to the uh, right up to the shore. Everybody, many people witnessed this. They said it was basically close enough you could throw a rock and hit it. Mm-hmm. And then they watched as like a wind shear took the sails off of this cloudy ghost ship. And then the ship just sort of dissipated. And everyone said, this is our answer. We've, wow. you know, we, we've got the answer. God has told us there was a storm that took the ship down. Mm-hmm. And and Cotton Mather was intrigued with this story. He was collecting stories exactly like these because he was trying to prove the glory of God. Mm. And so he put it in his book that uh, a minister from New Haven documented that many people had seen this work of God that yeah. was closure and an answer to their prayers, not the answer they wanted, but still an answer. And so, mm-hmm. um, so it's it sort of, that story survived. Paintings were made of it and it became New Haven's famous ghost ship. But it never showed up again. Not yet, but look out the window, Matt. You never know. I mean, maybe today's the day. So you said, you know, you can't choose your favorite story because they're all your babies, but is yeah. there one that is the audience's favorite is there one oh, that people God. ask you to tell over and over again you know I, I so um i guess an audience favorite is usually whatever is risen the highest in popular culture meaning mm. it's been on a movie or on the on the television shows so i get asked a lot about the conjuring house now which mm-hmm. is in rhode island in burrowville rhode island um because that i live now where i live mm-hmm. today it's only about 30 minutes away from me and i've been to the house many times I know the whole, it, it was weird to Another watch place, that. Movie. It's a real place that you can actually see. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a real house. Looks nothing like what's in the movie, but it is a real place. 
And, I, and it's strange to have watched that movie. I knew everybody being portrayed in the movie. I know the whole Perrin family who lived there and it's their yeah. story. I know Ed and Lorraine Warren. I know the people that owned it, you know, five years ago. I know the people that own it now. And it's it's one of those things where it's haunted, but the movie is an incredible stretch of fiction. Yeah. Right. And I I enjoyed the movie, but like, that's mm. not a documentary. That's not what happened. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, people think it is. And they're just like, you've been in like one of the most frightening houses on earth. And I said, oh, and, and to me, I'm like, oh, I've been in way scarier yeah. places than that. But you know it. And it's, I, I guess, again, to use the band analogy, like sometimes you play the hits, right? Because yeah. that's what they, that's what they want to sing along with. So I can tell them the real story of the Conjuring house. It's, it's been yeah. around almost 300 years. This is an old, old house. It's seen some stuff. It's seen families come and go. Uh, it, I'm sure it's haunted, but I don't think yeah. it's haunted by who or what the movie suggests it's haunted by. Hollywood doesn't always get it right. Um, they never get it right. It, so, but but at the same time, you know, quick quick note on that. When you see it in the beginning of the movie, it says based on the true story, mm -hmm. and you go, "Oh my gosh, this is exactly what happened." Well, yeah. based on they they take a lot of liberties. However, uh, true hauntings to me are way more frightening than anything Hollywood dreams up. Because honestly, anyone I'm into this stuff. If I'm in a house that's literally trying to eat me and my loved ones, rah, blood coming out of the walls yeah. and heads spinning around, I'm gone. I'm yeah, out the leave. door. Yeah. Like the, the, the horror movie would be 45 seconds long. I'd be like, nope, I'm gone. Real, real hauntings are subtle. Nothing happens for days, weeks, right? It's mm -hmm. quiet. You, you start to calm down and think everything's okay. And then you hear someone walking in the middle of the night and you, you hear your door open or something. And, and then you're on edge again for weeks. It's way more subtle but really way more frightening. It's just Hollywood can't figure out a way to portray that in an hour and a half movie. Yeah. So they just go at you with like nothing but stuff that would make any normal person just run away. So if the audience at home wants to hear some of these awesome stories, um, where can they listen to your podcast and watch your show? The podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. We're, we're on all the services, Spotify, right. Apple, Google, you know, um, mm -hmm. Amazon and so on. Um, the show is PBS stations, various PBS stations play it usually around October, but you can mm -hmm. watch it if you're an Amazon Prime member. You can watch it anytime. Anytime you want um, on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. And it's and, and it's online as well. You can visit our website, just search for New England Legends podcast or show and you'll find us and it's all there. Mm -hmm. And I heard uh, talking about your website that there's a cool feature on your website that there's a map feature on there. How does that work? Yeah, so the map was a lot of work years ago, but it's really cool now. So it's it's basically an interactive Google map. And if mm -hmm. you go to the website, um, every single story we've ever covered becomes a pin in the map. Mm -hmm. And so if you're if you find yourself in a certain location, you could say, like, oh, I'm in northern Maine or I'm in, you know, eastern Connecticut, you'll see all the pins of all the stories we've covered. What stories are around pin. here? Yeah. Yeah. You can click on the pin and it'll say, Oh, here's the story, and you can get driving directions because we we tend to only cover stories that you can actually go there. Mm -hmm. um, or, or at the very least, like stand on the street and observe the house from the street. But you can mm -hmm. actually see these places or see where they were. Yeah, because we you want to be encouraging people to go to someone's private property or something. No, yeah. No, like, and that's and and by the way, you know, uh, the, so those stories that we've covered were long ago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. if you broke in, you're not going to see it today. But you can stand on the street and say, "Wow, that's the house where it happened." How cool! Yeah, very cool. Well, yeah. Jeff, thanks so much for speaking with us today. It's been a real privilege and. Uh... Sounds like a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me and, and happy Halloween. I hope you stay safe. Will do. Bye-bye. We'd like to thank our guest, Jeff Bellinger. We'd like to thank our sponsors at Gateway Community College and Housatonic Community College. Learn more at gatewayct.edu and housatonic.edu. 
The Municipal Voice is a co-production by CCM and WNHH 103.5 FM. Christopher Gilson is our producer. Harry Draws is on the boards, and I'm Matt Ford, your host. Be sure to check out our Facebook page and give us a like, and watch out for our CCM chat series on our YouTube page.